Josh Ulm isn't afraid to speak his mind. When we first got to know him at the 2018 Design Leadership Camp that Envision organized in collaboration with the Bureau of Digital, Josh said something that stood out to us. He said, our role sometimes is to call BS on the metrics and data. You can tell any story with data. You have to ground your product in value you're creating for your customers. Design has a legitimate perspective that we shouldn't have to apologize for. Josh has a long leadership track record in the design world, from a long tenure at Adobe leading UX teams, to head of UX at Vodafone, to his most recent role as Group VP of Design at Oracle. During our conversation with him, we covered subjects ranging from where the connected workflow is most broken, to the one critical question to ask executive sponsors when starting a project. We hope you enjoy this chat with Josh, and thanks for listening. As a Design Better listener, we think you'll enjoy Tools and Weapons. It's a podcast hosted by Microsoft's Vice Chair and President Brad Smith. Brad's conversations with leaders at the intersection of the promise and perils of the digital age touch on some fascinating topics, like the new AI economy and how AI is becoming a tool in the battle against hunger. On a recent episode, Brad was taken to Venice, Italy, where he connected with Eve Ubelmanhoff of Iconum. It's a startup that specializes in 3D digitization of endangered cultural heritage sites. During the relative quiet of the pandemic, Eve and his team used drone capture photography and some powerful AI tools to create a full-scale digital twin of Venice, a city threatened by climate change and over-tourism. How cool is that? On tools and weapons, Eve tells Brad how he's using this incredible technology to help preserve some of the world's most endangered cultural heritage sites in pristine detail so they can be studied and appreciated for generations to come. To stay current on some of the most innovative people working with AI today, you should subscribe to Tools and Weapons with Brad Smith, wherever finer podcasts are served. Josh Ulm is a veteran design professional who has spent time running design teams at Oracle, Adobe, and Vodafone. His background in filmmaking has influenced the way he approaches product design and resulted in award-winning work for brands like Microsoft, Sony, and the Olympic Games. Let's jump right into our conversation with Josh Ulm. Hey, Josh, thanks so much for taking time to talk with us today. We got to hang out with you in Hawaii a few months back at the Design Leadership Camp, which is an event that we uh, put together in partnership with the Bureau of Digital and Carl Smith and we got to talk about a lot of interesting things there, and we want to maybe revisit a couple of those topics there. We heard a lot of talk about trying to operationalize teams, and I know that with your history at Oracle and Vodafone and other places that operations has been an important part of how you you know, build high-functioning organizations, especially at scale, and that tends to be a big focus of yours. So. Maybe we could start there. Do you want to talk a little bit about how you think about operations and how you see it fitting into design teams in your personal experience and maybe also other teams you've, you've seen in the industry as well? I think that I was lucky enough when the first tour I took at Adobe where I was matched up very early on as I started to figure out you know, how these teams are going to grow with a great design operations team at the time. And... That, you know, I think right off the bat taught me the value in operations being part of the design organization specifically. And I think I've kind of carried that through 
all of my work along the way because I've really just seen the value in doing that. And But what it fundamentally kind of comes down to for me is that even though design needs to mesh very intimately in with development and engineering, the process of running product development through its cycles doesn't match one-to-one with the process of design doing their deliverables for product development. And that unless there is someone who is looking at the way that design builds and delivers and hands off and collaborates, that that whole part of the process often gets dropped. And so having recognized that, I've always seen it as a crucial part to make sure that the design organization itself is at the very least responsible for its own process and delivering that along the way. And so I've always kind of built out those organizations and made sure that they were part of part of my team. And over time, have found that that's just been even more necessary, not only to make sure the design team operates well, but really just to communicate and understand the process of product development better. And really just kind of seeing how all of that meshes. I've seen many times how you know, most of the processes that are involved in product development will draft off of engineering and what their goals are, which it needs to certainly. But if it only does that, then design can get dropped. But I think a lot of other parts of the process get dropped along the way. And so I think advocating for just understanding the process writ large and certainly how design, again, meshes into any product development process has always been really important to the success of the design teams I built. Yeah, it's almost like uh, operations is an input-output layer for design to you know build tighter partnerships and build rapport. Curious if you could talk a bit about the rapport side too, because you know the operations is helpful, so you know when you need to plug into different teams and bring in different partners. But there's also kind of an interpersonal skill set that needs to be developed just to be effective. My view of operations. And specifically for design, or at least starting with design, it starts around our process. And that really comes down to, in my mind, this fundamental question of how do you take something that is inherently subjective, i.e. design, and make it as objective as possible so that you can have good conversations and make progress and know that you're making progress. And I think that's one of the fundamental rubs in just doing design and product development today is building that bridge in being as objective as possible as you can about what you are delivering and what's working and what's not, but also allowing the subjective side of design, the art, the craft side of it, to have its space in equal measure so that you get beautiful things that people love in the end. And I think that oftentimes I've seen teams that product development teams that aren't successful, not getting that balance right, either weighing too heavily that we're all objective, we make all our decisions based off of the data, in which case you lose a lot of the soul of whatever it is you're building, or you're all objective, in which case nobody has any real faith in design because they don't know how the decisions are made and they don't know kind of what it is. And it's all just those fancy guys over there doing their fancy things. And you can't, you can't lean from my experience on just one of those. You need to get that equal balance. And so in doing that, I think a big part of it is what objectively are you doing? How do you measure all of that stuff? And that means kind of uh, almost the obvious simple stuff is making sure design teams are working in the same feature and bug databases that the engineering team is. So you're communicating well and you actually can measure the work that you're doing, which not all teams can or even know how to do. So that's kind of where it starts is just how do we bring that objective 
critique of the work out. But the other side of it is to say that, you know, in order for a design team to run effectively and, and efficiently, again, you can't lose that culture and the soul of it. So I also believe that operations just as much is responsible for establishing the culture and talking about design or helping the design team talk about design. And that means, again, really facilitating a discussion, facilitating the discourse around what does design do? What does it, quote unquote, bring to the table? And what does it mean to have a relationship with design? And what does it mean to take these different cultures, be it product management or engineering or QA or executives or whatever it is, and bringing these different personalities together and forming conversations that can work well in that. And I think design oftentimes is in a really good position to lead that because design is about the presentation of things for the most part. It is about how are people going to interpret this? How are we going to talk about it? What meaning does it have? What value does it have for the people that are going to be using it? And so design can facilitate that. So that often means really facilitating and getting deeper into the, well, let's facilitate the relationships that are going to make sure this is going to be successful throughout the company, with the customers, internally with the design team, et cetera. That's great. So one of the things that you said at Design Leadership Camp that really stood out to us, uh, and this ties into exactly what you were just talking about, is that, and I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but you said our role is sometimes to call BS on the metrics, data, et cetera. You can tell any story with data. You have to ground your product and the value you're creating for your customers. And design has a legitimate perspective that we shouldn't have to apologize for. Are there any other ways that uh, individual designers or design leaders who may be in kind of the habit of deferring to data when it's thrown up against them can stand up more confidently for their for their own perspective? Um, I mean, yeah, there's there's lots. I mean, the biggest one that kind of comes to mind is just really being the voice of the customer. And there's other teams that kind of can do this. And you see a lot of companies now kind of creating a customer experience team lead role. I think even Envision has a very successful one where that team is really responsible for everything that kind of quote unquote touches the customer and how it is interpreted by them. And I think that that's a good start. The challenge that I've seen with some companies that do that is that Again, their perspective on why that's an important role or who's responsible for that role. And I think that regardless of how it's framed or who ultimately it rolls up to, the point that I like to make is that I think that design needs to be uh, take some responsibility for that, which you know, one of the things we, we talked about a lot at that camp, which is a topic that I love because I think I take a contrarian position to it is does design kind of have a, a seat at the table? Like a lot of designers like to say that, like we don't have a seat at the table. And, and I hear that a lot. And, I, and where, where I understand it's coming from is the, we think decisions are being made in the company and designers aren't in the room to do that, to, to make those decisions. And the thing that I come back to is that it's really less about being in the room and more about actually having the information you need in order to make the right decisions along the way and who has that information and who's bringing that information to the conversation. I think design does have a seat to the table. They just need to stop just being designers or stop only designing screens and start representing the customer and being that voice of the customer using at the very least, if they're not seen as the authority for being the voice of the customer at the company, at least 
representing the customer to the extent that they do have ownership over that space and bringing that to the table. Whether that means, um, for example, again, different companies at different stages, we were talking kind of earlier before we started, a, or I was sharing how, kind of how I think it's dangerous to take like the Airbnbs and the Ubers of the world and use those as the model for how design should operate because A, those companies mostly started with design in their DNA from the beginning, which is wonderful if you have it. And also that the design is usually is, is representing those companies top down. You have really strong leadership at the top that understands design and can push that through the company and every aspect of the business. Very few companies are like that anymore. Even ones that are starting today, they may have it, but they may not. And the vast majority of businesses that are really trying to transform themselves don't have either of those things. And so I think it's important for design to step up and say, it's not just about the screens that we're developing. That is a part of it. And that ultimately is the output that they have and should and will be measured off of the quality of the success of those solutions in the customer's hands. That's right. But... If that's all design does, if all design does is say, we're the guys that use Sketch and Studio and Photoshop or whatever it is, and we produce a bitmap of this size, then I think they're totally missing the point. In that, I think that design is the responsibility to say, how did we get to this screen? How did we get to these pixels in this format? And so that is where I think design needs to own whatever part of the voice of the customer that it has that got to that point and speak to that and share that insight and help the company see the process by which it gets to that and own that piece of it. And that is not oftentimes, in fact, I think most of the time, is not an objective part of the conversation. That is a listening to people that say they don't like the color blue and figuring out whether they really don't like the color blue or whether it's something else that is really affecting them. And that is the subjective side of the interpretation of the customer that design owns and represents and needs to bring to the table and needs to find ways in which it can speak to that and talk to it and present it and make sure everyone understands it so that when those decisions get made of the screen needs to look like this, the product needs to behave in this way, the company comes along for the ride for that. And it's not just about a, well, because the button is at this corner of the screen, objectively, it's performing better. If the design is only focused on that part, on just the data part, then you will be forced to quantify it that way. Whereas if you can bring that voice and explain why you got to that point, then I think it brings a lot more value to the role of design and ultimately why the decisions are being made of what design is doing. One of the uh, the things that I hear in product teams is, you know, see a lot of product designers, uh, design researchers representing the voice of the customer and bringing that that understanding of motivation, whereas data is really about these are the behaviors that are happening, but we don't really know why, what's driving that, and the voice of the customer, that those qualitative findings can help us understand the motivations behind that. But I've often heard, and I've heard other designers report that when they present the voice of the customer, the pushback is, well, that's one person, and we're looking at a data set that's much bigger. So Ours is a, a much larger representation of our audience than yours is. I'm curious if you've encountered that same sort of pushback and how you deal with it. Yeah, of course. Uh, and again, I, I definitely don't have a silver bullet for how to deal with these conversations. I make them up as I go along. So uh, there's not really, I think, a way to handle any one of these things. But I will share a couple of thoughts on that. So again, I think that 
it can be the case that those kinds of agreements are coming out of a notion of, of ownership and shared understanding for who the customer is. And I think that that's something that honestly, you know, is probably another subtext for when the designers say we want to see at the table that that's what they're saying is that they don't actually have the authority to represent their view of the customer as deeply as they think that they should, or as deeply as as important to have the product be successful. And so I think that design does have to confront that. But I think I think that some of those problems end up being cultural, for example, if the company, again, has their history based in analytics um, and data and running by the data, that's a hard cultural thing to change. Changing behavior for customers, let alone for the company, I think is the hardest thing to change, is really getting them understand that the culture is going to have an effect on the output for the customer. And so that is a problem or a challenge that the design has to take on. And if it is cultural, then it has to be dealt with culturally and not necessarily by a preponderance of the facts. It really is a going forth and saying, okay, there are stakeholders in the company that have a strong influence on the direction of the product, and they have a certain cultural bias towards one way of making decisions. And deal with that head on, is to go to that and say, okay, how do we bring those people along for the ride. And I think that, again, this is something that design is known for having to deal with because I think design is so fundamental to the end product that gets shipped. And yet, because most companies are measuring the success of the product financially, that the financial bias of the company, which oftentimes is a very good bias to have, is the bias to have, but that bias, if it's over-rotated, can diminish any empathetic voice for the individuals inside the space, right? And so I think it is design's job to help change the culture of that. And again, so what I would suggest or what I've done in the past is to take that on directly and find those individuals in the company that may have those biases and bring them along for the ride, bring them in closer. You know, you could use the, you know, keep your enemies closer kind of approach to that, which is to say like, bring them in and help them understand who their customers are. And even if it is just one person, which that's a valid argument. I mean, it rarely is just one person. Um, although a great quick aside to that is, I'm sure that everyone that's been in that situation has also been in the exact same situation when the CEO comes in with but one email and that one email says, this one thing is broken, and that one person seems to have a lot of importance. So you can kind of throw that whole argument out the window. It depends on who's bringing the one person in. Right. Which is why I say, like, it's not about the one person. It's about the cultural shift and finding the people that have not understood the value in listening to one person and hearing what that one person is saying and then using that as it is. So the, the argument that I like just for balancing those two things is to say, yes, that is one person or maybe, a, a, let's say, a smaller subset of the overall data that we're getting. But the richness of that data is far, far greater in terms of the success of the product than the data which is removed from the emotional decisions that are going on. And so while there may be less on the quantifiable part of it, there's far more on the qualitative part of it that makes it a larger set of data that needs to be taken to a different level of understanding than the quantitative side. 
which is why they're, they're not apples to apples and they have to be seen in their own value in their own right. That's great. So one, one other thing that you said at <clears throat> Design Leadership Camp that really stood out to me was that you said at the start of a project, ask the executive sponsor, what does success look like for you and how will you be tracking it? So why do you ask that question? So exactly that same point, which is to say that I think it's important for everyone to get on the same page. I mean, this is probably one of the biggest issues is just, I think that, again, design is certainly guilty of this, but I've seen this in all disciplines, engineering, research, you know, product side, which is that they think they know what the goals are. They're working under some set of goals and they may even be right about what their immediate goals are, which is to say that, you know, they have to ship a product on a certain date and it has to work. So that's, they, they may have that understanding, but those understandings, I think, do not make for the most empowered organization possible. And I think the most powerful organization possible is one that understands what the leader's goals are. And I'll give a, a quick example. This just came up uh, the past couple of days with a team I'm working with that we were looking at a new project. It was a, a kickoff meeting for a project. And we spent the first half of the kickoff just going through what all the deliverables were and by the time that I finally was able to raise my hand, I was the first person to say, who's the audience for this thing? Like, who are we presenting these, this, these screens to? Who's going to see them? And then what's that person going to do with these screens? And as soon as that became kind of the starting point of the conversation, the whole conversation kind of changes at that point. Because it's really not about the delivery of this of the you know the actual screens or the product in the end the conversation becomes about how do we tailor whatever it is we're going to create to make sure that that audience is hearing what we need them to hear in a format and a way that is going to suit the way that they are going to be able to make this thing actionable meaning that some of the questions that came out of that is that are we developing something for that person to then think about, to like encourage a new way of thinking for this person, in which case our delivery is then going to end once we hit that person? Or are we developing something for them that then they are going to take and they are going to bring to another audience and use themselves as material for something? And that just that simple question alone dramatically changes what the output is. In the first situation, if I'm just giving a leader something to help create critical thought for them, it will be a very different type of product than if they are going to take that and then use it themselves to go and try and sway other stakeholders or customers or something else. But unless you ask that question, you don't really know. And I think that you can take that example, or I take that example, and I extrapolate it out to just, again, the way that design organizations need to operate, in my opinion, which is that they really need to understand who they're trying to influence and how they're trying to influence those people so that they can be the most successful. And bar none, the starting point always has to be the CEO, the leader of the company, the person that is deciding where we're going to go. And their motivations, again, can be vastly different. If the company is in a growth phase versus a maintenance phase, that dramatically changes the design conversation, regardless of what any product manager is hearing from a customer. And so if the product team and the designers in that space are only focused on 
well, we've got this next release and we've got a list of uh, features that we need to get out because the customers told me they want these things. That's somewhat irrelevant if the company is actually trying to grow into new demographics and new audiences and expand their business or vice versa. If they're not trying to grow and instead they're really just trying to create new value for the current customer base that they have. More so at companies at scale, and as you scale, it becomes more difficult. But oftentimes, that story from the CEO doesn't make it all the way down. Either the company's not as transparent as it could be, there isn't a direct line from the design team to the executive team in order to get that information back. It's maybe a couple of voices removed, so you played a game of operator, and now what we actually understand, maybe not the thing. Or we just don't hear from the executive team very much. Maybe they have like a, a twice a year fireside and then it's a couple bullet points and a PowerPoint and we don't really know the depth of what we're doing and why we're doing it. And so again, I think design is a responsibility to really understand the motivation of the business. And this gets to, again, kind of the way that I operate, which is that while I am a designer, I love doing design, I still am very hands-on in all my design work and the final responsibility of design is to output a product and ship that product. If that's all design does, then that's all design will be. It will be a production resource and not a business resource. And I think that's the, certainly the most interesting for me, but I think the most valuable role for design to play is to not just influence the product that is shipped, but influence the way that the business is run. And that really means getting as close as possible to understanding what the motivations of the, the business are, what the executive team is. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. When we spoke with Seth Godin on Design Better, he said something very interesting. Everyone's got a noise in their head. You, me, your boss, everyone. That noise in our head is self-doubt, confusion, fear, anxiety, all of that. It's part of the human experience, and it can hold us back. Therapy is one of the best ways to work through it all, to quiet the unproductive noise and develop positive mental health. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient, flexible, and to work with your schedule. BetterHelp can help you get the support that you need. Visit BetterHelp.com dot com slash design better today to get 10% off your first month. That's better help H E L P dot com slash design better support for design better comes from uplift desk creators of office furniture designed to help you work better and live healthier. It's been estimated that the average person will spend one third of their life at work. Sobering, huh? That's roughly 90,000 hours at work over your lifetime. Imagine what happens to your body if you're working with bad posture and poor circulation. It can be devastating on your health. That's why Eli and I love Uplift Desk and their ergonomic desks and chairs. Uplift Desk makes solid, well-constructed standing desks that you can customize to match your workspace. And they have a wide variety of incredibly ergonomic chairs. My personal favorite is the Human Scale Freedom Chair. I'm sitting in it right now. For professionals like us, investing in the right tools, especially our desk and chair, is essential. You're going to get free shipping, free returns with free return shipping, 
and an industry-leading 15-year warranty that covers the complete desk. Eli and I love their products, and we know that you will too. Give it a try. Go to upliftdesk.com and use code DESIGNBETTER5 for 5% off your order. That's U-P-L-I-F-T desk.com to get 5% off your entire order with promo code DESIGNBETTER5. Support for Design Better comes from our friends at CrashPlan. Visit CrashPlan.com slash DesignBetter for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. From my daughter's first birthday to my son's first soccer game, if you're like me, you have thousands of precious family photos that only exist in digital form. That's why I've been using CrashPlan for a decade and a half now to back up all my important files. CrashPlan works efficiently in the background while you work, encrypting and sending all your new or changed files up to their secure cloud server every 15 minutes. And they make it simple to restore some or all of your data. And with unlimited version retention, CrashPlan can also be your ultimate rewind button. Businesses of all sizes benefit from CrashPlan's multi-tenant capabilities, buy as many user licenses as you need, and easily manage them all under one account. Go to CrashPlan.com slash DesignBetter for 50% off your first year of CrashPlan. That's CrashPlan.com slash DesignBetter, all one word, for 50% off your first year. Back up better with CrashPlan. Josh, you've seen some uh, kind of the extremes of design teams in terms of scale and working inside of really large orgs with different ratios. Sometimes the ratios are pretty far off that there's way more engineers than designers. When you think about the, the product design workflow, there are a lot of people that have to be involved. It's not just design. Design's not the center of the universe. It's a stop along the way. Where do you see the biggest breakpoints in a workflow, of connected workflow across all these different partnerships? Gosh, uh, it's always hard to answer those questions, Aaron, because I've just seen so much variety. I mean, I think that's the one thing that I've come back to, be it in every place I've been, uh, Adobe, Vodafone, Oracle, they all have had, uh, again, all of these very large companies, very large portfolios, and because of that very large variety in the processes they use to ship their product inside that same company. Oracle, the company that I was just at most recently, more than any other. Uh, I was responsible for some 70 plus different services and every one of those service teams ran their business differently, had different processes and we had to solve things differently across all of those. Again, which is why I, you know, I always walk in the room with a very open mind and confront every challenge like it's the first time I've confronted that challenge because I don't know what's going to work for this particular team and what challenges they're facing. But I will say that what is probably generally true is that teams are often not discussing what a shared process looks like or what it could look like. Because some of the problems that fall out of that is that Oftentimes, as I, we kind of started off, design will just draft off of engineering and will jump onto whatever process they have and then try and manipulate that process along the way. So try and make it more agile or try and adjust it so that there's specific sprints for design. But they're always modifying a process that currently exists, which is almost never ideal, which is always just starting with the okay, well, let's band-aid the situation we have versus really let's look at the way that we bring it in. And that's only for design, like bringing design in. That also doesn't include, I found, you know, all the others, as you said, the other pieces that have to come into that 
equation along the way, like, for example, other product teams and how those product teams are going to interface. So you see a lot today how a common challenge for these product teams at scale is integration. It's just how do they get different products to fit together in different ways so they can sell a suite of pieces, a platform, if you will, for how all these things fit. Well, the problem that comes out of doing that is that you may have a product team shipping a service that's got it totally dialed in for their designers and their product managers and their engineers, and that's working great. And maybe another product team has got the exact same thing and they're dialed in, but you try and hand off between those things or connect those things. And again, the process starts to break apart again. They're not on the same cycle. Their sprints aren't lining up correctly, or the length of duration of those things aren't exactly the same, or the output and or when dependencies need to be identified isn't coming up soon enough in their processes. So the meshing of process, I think, is such a fundamental one, which again brings us back to operations too, and why it's so important, I think, to have a design organization that can look at itself and say, how do we change the way we're doing what we're doing in order to solve some of these problems? And if your design team does not have someone thinking about that and only thinking about the we're using a design tool to output bitmaps, then you're not going to be able to affect that. You're not going to be able to affect the role that design has across things. So when I was at my second tour at Adobe, one of the pieces I worked on was trying to figure out how to do cross-cloud experience. So they had, still have, um, three very different businesses between Document Cloud and Creative Cloud and Marketing Cloud and three very strong products in their own right, but three very different businesses that ultimately, if I'm a customer of someone like Adobe, then I don't really care about your org chart. I want to be able to use... Acrobat to do my document management and use Creative Cloud to have my designers building their stuff and use Marketing Cloud to measure the success of the products we're building. I want to use all that stuff together. But if the products themselves don't integrate, then I'm not able to do those kinds of things. And so again, I think it comes down to the company looking internally and saying, what are the right processes for us to bring all of this stuff together? And that I think is one of the hardest things because that ultimately means the company needs to start to standardize on some of these things. And standardization is, I think, in equal measure, a powerful tool and a very scary thought to large companies or companies that want to grow. Because standardization means efficiency, most certainly, and all companies want that. But it also means a tamping down of innovation, or it can mean that. And so I think companies can oftentimes step away from standardization because they're fearful of losing innovation. They're afraid of letting these teams do what they do well. And that's kind of what gets us great. And so getting that balance is really tricky. And I think the only way that I've found to address it is to confront process, not design, but process as a way of figuring out how are we going to take our successes and codify those things into things that we can then extrapolate out to a larger part of the business. So to that point around process, let's talk about a very specific part of the process, the kickoff. And what does a good kickoff look like either when you're working at Oracle or Adobe and how do you make sure that the right people are involved? So another topic we were talking about just before we jumped on was just that I still at the moment am 
struggling with the models we have for design today. So as I kind of oversimplify it, I kind of see that there's kind of two models. One model is the a company has an internal design organization and they use that to build and ship their products on a daily basis. Maybe those designers are um, distributed across product teams. Maybe they're centralized, whatever. But they've got some body of design resource that's in their company that they're using to ship their products. The challenge with that model is that over time, those designers and the work that comes out of those design organizations can stagnate. After a while, you kind of, you know how the sausage is made. You've accepted the challenges that inherently you have. Um, You think you know who your customer is and you start to get into that rhythm and you frankly get lazy. And the inherent culture in business, I think often encourages that. Again, to try and get to normalization and standardization because that can be more efficient and more cost effective for a business that you can lose innovation. And I think that's a real challenge that internal teams have to deal with. On the other side of it, the other, I think, prominent model is there's an agency and a company doesn't really have a, maybe a significant internal design team. And so therefore they outsource it and they have a studio come in and they partner deeply with that team and they let the designers kind of hand stuff over to them and then they take it and they run it off and they go and they build it. And that's very successful and very um, common as well. The challenge with that model is that those external agencies never really get deeply connected to the business. They're always kept at arm's length. And because of that, they're never able, or very rarely, able to attain that connection with the motivations of the business that I was saying are so important is actually understanding the CEO or the, or the C-suite and what they're doing and what, why they're doing what they're doing. Because as an external agency, for whatever reason, either there's security protocols or logistically, it just doesn't make sense to have them know all of that stuff, or the leadership doesn't think it's important, yada, yada, yada. So they're always kind of kept at that arm's length. So both of those models kind of have inherent flaws. And I think that Because of that, what you see is that the process itself also ends up being kind of fundamentally different along the way. The team internally, its process or its model for a kickoff is going to be very different than an external agency that's going to kick something off. An external agency is probably going to come in and they're probably going to say something to the effect of, okay, well, let's deep dive for a week with you. And we'll get all the stakeholders in a room. We'll bring a bunch of external research in. We'll dump that on you. We'll talk about the customer a lot. Maybe we'll do a bunch of design explorations. We'll do the design sprinty kind of thing, right? And as separate from a product sprint, where if you're really just sprinting on design, you're really just going to brainstorm, brainstorm, brainstorm around that. Come up with some really crazy stuff that's hopefully awesome. And then work backwards from that, that area of really far committed innovation to how do we bring it back into the reality of the product. And I think that's a, again, there's a lot of advantages to that model in it. It does bring a lot of innovation into it very early on as, and it can be successful as long as the stakeholders that are part of that actually have influence in the end. Again, like who is that audience? Who are you sprinting towards in the end? And if you come in as an external agency and you're just working with a brand team and the brand team ultimately is going to take all of that identity stuff 
And all it's going to become in the end, in reality, is a bunch of letterhead and not actually make it into a product, then that kickoff model doesn't have as much value, regardless of how much innovation it has. On the flip side, if you're internal, your kickoff meeting probably looks more like a intense couple of days with whoever currently has the ownership hat running the show. And they often come in and will say, okay, I've already figured out what this thing is. Let's spend this kickoff figuring out how, not why. And I think that is kind of the fundamental problem internally, is that oftentimes the internal processes are kicked off with the how question, not the why question. Because again, it's so indoctrinated that the why is just assumed that any exercise is really just about how to execute on that. So I think in either model, there's challenges to face. In the external agency model, I think designers should be asking themselves, who is my audience? Is this the right audience? And if it's not, how do I help my clients see who the right audience is? And that may be work in and of itself. And oftentimes agencies, and I'm going to call you all out, you need to do the hard work to really make sure you're bringing value to the company. Like, And ask yourself what it is you're really delivering. If all you're delivering is a bunch of bitmaps, no shame in that. Oftentimes that may be what's necessary, in which case that's your business. Be clear on what you're delivering and ship that stuff off. But if you're being brought in to kick off a new product or, for example, to kick off a new direction in the company, oftentimes companies will come along and they'll say, you know, we are stagnating. Let's get some some new minds, some new thoughts into this. Let's bring them in. But then they'll cut them off at the knees by not actually giving them the stakeholder information or access that they really need to be successful in doing that. So designers in that situation should certainly be asking, who's my audience? Who ultimately am I trying to convince of this? And are they part of this conversation? And if they're not, how do I help the client that I do have understand the value of that? So that's that challenge. If you're internal and you're kicking it off, I think now the challenge is not who is the right person, because you probably have the right person or know who that person is, but how do I get them to ask the right question in the end, which is how do I get them to not think about how, but to think about why? And again, now we're getting back into the qual versus quant part of this, which is that most of the time, product teams at kickoffs will come back and say, how do we optimize? Or how do we grow our numbers? Which is, again, a how question, not a why question. And I think that design oftentimes need to, need to, in that situation, make sure and push really hard to a process that is going to say like, well, do we have the right assumptions to begin with before we have this conversation? And how do we come to those assumptions? And if they're right, then awesome, then we can move forward. But if they're not, how do we at least carve out time in this process to make sure that we validate that we've understood, we all have understood and been part of and come along for the ride of answering the why we're doing what we're doing? The why part seems to be a recurring theme we've heard with a number of guests. Margaret Gould Stewart, VP of Design over at Facebook, talked to us about that too. And this seemed to be uh, you know, a key theme, especially when, when it's, there's scale. You've got a whole lot of people and you're working across teams, across product lines and so forth. And how do we unify our efforts going in the same direction? wonder if you've had experience creating product vision or creating why not just in the kickoff meeting, but as an artifact that can be referenced by multiple teams, you know, different touch points where people have to come into the process. Yeah, I mean, I've certainly created artifacts like that, and there's a variety of ways in which you can do that. Again, I think this is getting more into the 
building design organization and design as a strategic role versus as a development role. And I think that's something that's new for a lot of companies. They're trying to figure out how to do that better. And once you transition to that, you realize that there's other outputs of design besides bitmaps. And some of the challenges that come out of creating artifacts like that, whatever they are, tone of voice documents, um, speaking to it, creating materials for executive teams, understanding a buy-in of the why we're doing what we're doing. A lot of those things, I think, end up being things that are not necessarily design documents, but strategic documents that design can help influence and certainly craft and shape and create process around defining those kinds of things. So there's a role that they can play there. And I think that part of the challenge in doing that is helping or growing Because again, I I think that part of this is just a sense of maturation. Just because we know that one day we're all going to be adults doesn't mean we can skip all of the teenage years and just jump to that. You still have to live through it. You still have to grow through all of those phases. If only. Yeah, (laughs) if only. So just because I know what it looks like when it's working really well doesn't mean I can just say it and it's going to happen. Changing behavior takes time. And so you have to understand that. And you can't walk in and you can't get frustrated if after six months, the whole company is not, you know, embracing design thinking when they didn't even know what it was six months ago. Like it just takes time and you have to play a long game when you're doing that kind of stuff. But I think part of the challenge once you've accepted that it's going to take time is that you have to help the company see that that is a role that design can help with that that is something that actually we can feed into and contribute to. Because again, most companies, if they're not doing that, will need help understanding that design can create artifacts that aren't directly related to the product. And the, the challenge there may be cultural, and I have to convince this company that I'm going to spend money, i.e. resources, on these things that is not the thing that the company thought was the only thing I was doing, which was shipping product. So I have to have some way of convincing this company that, what, 10% of my resources or 20% of my time is going to go towards creating things that aren't directly related to shipping a product. And that is an exercise that the design team has to take on and recognize that they have to validate that and they have to make a a case for that happening. You can't just assume that that's going to happen. So part of that means communicating that to the business, helping them see that that has value, and then helping them understand what level of commitment makes sense for that. Now, I know that there's lots of actually good data out there that says that. In fact, I think you guys sponsored a wonderful presentation I saw recently from uh, Leah Bulli, who was speaking to how to help represent the value that design has. And she makes a wonderfully eloquent case for just the the objective value that you can demonstrate for a design team that it has on finance and process and efficiency and all these things. And those are great, I think, studies to look to to get the data that you need in order to make the case for what design needs. And I think I would encourage designers to kind of take a mindset of you're not just creating bitmaps. You are in the process of helping the company to see the role that design has. And that means looking out there and gathering data that help tell your story 
for that. And so if I'm going to go and convince the business that um, the eight designers I've got on my product team, that I'm going to take 25% of their time, I'm going to take two of those designers, and I'm going to use those not to ship product anymore, then I better have a case for that, that at least helps the company understand objectively the value of doing something like that. And that's not easy for designers to do. Designers are not inherently analytical. We aren't fundamentally just taught that at art school. And so you have to get in the habit of doing that, of making an objective case for that. Luckily, that is far easier to do now than it was five, 10 years ago because there are really good success stories. There are studies out there. One great tip that I won't take credit for it because Leah shared it, but I loved it, was just go and look at your competitor who is already bringing design into their business and use them as an example. Go into their press releases. See the way that they are talking about it. See the way that they are demonstrating the role that design has and use that as an influence back to your own business. So you can use that as as a way of saying, well, we see these people as being successful, potentially more successful than we are. We want some of that success. How do we use the justification they've made to make that our justification? And again, that ends up being very influential back to a business, but also an objective measurement. So it doesn't have to be just what we think it is because we show that people, quote unquote, like this more. We can show that objectively, this business is being successful because they're bringing it in. Let's use those as values that we can use to influence how we start to influence our own stakeholders internally. And so I think design definitely has to build up a skill for looking strategically at the business that's going on and figure out how they can use that to communicate the role that they should evolve to and justify that back to the business. Wonderful. Well, Josh, we have one more question for you before we wrap up. So you're you're having a chance to take a little time and think about your next move. Are there any books or blogs, podcasts are helping you as you think about that? One of the things that I am just so impressed by, there are some companies out there that I just think it's almost like I wonder if they're in the wrong business. And one of the businesses I think that does this really well is Salesforce. Um, Salesforce, I think, uh, frankly, does better at teaching their customers about the business that they're in than they build great products for those businesses, (laughs) Um, which is not to say that Salesforce does not build great products. They do. They build fabulous products Their design staff is, I think, one of the best design staffs that I know, but they are really freaking good at just teaching people. Their trailhead thing is just an amazing piece of technology. And I think that Envision is one of those companies as well, builds world-class design tools. But the teaching that I get from Envision, I'm just constantly impressed by. Every time I go and follow a link somewhere, to some new piece of learning, more often than not, I'm surprised to find that it's actually being fostered by Envision. I don't, e- I wouldn't even know what it is, but the other day I was looking for some design inspiration, found some great little um, Chrome extension, which changes my home screen to give me design inspiration every day. I installed Easily. it. And then only after using it for a while did I find out it was built by Envision. 
you guys definitely do a fantastic job of that. But what I would probably just share more than that is I think it's really important just for designers to be engaged and to challenge themselves as much as possible. One thing that I think is happening now that I think is really exciting for me is the way that design tools are just continuing to evolve and change. And obviously I've played a big part of that myself with my time at Adobe and even at Oracle and the tools that we built there. But I'm just really inspired by the role that design is continuing to play. And I think it's really important for designers to stay on top of that. Because I think, especially now, again, there's another transformation of design happening where my goal as a designer is always to bring the designer and the end product as close together as possible. If I can remove as much of the distance there, I think the product is going to be better because the fidelity is better and the understanding of the customer is going to be closer to what actually is developed. And I think that even just in the past couple months, we've seen a lot of design tools kind of come out and evolve and change in a way that the designer is just now even closer to the end technology. And I would even argue, I'm not a developer myself, I'm a designer, but I work very hard to myself and get my design team to get as close to the technology as possible, to understand what it means to code and develop front end and to actually be responsible for the building and shipping of the product. The more that designers can do that, I think the better. And I encourage them to take whatever vehicle they have at their access to learn more about that. And there's just a plethora of them today. I uh, have a subscription to, to LinkedIn and they do a great job of creating material for learning and all of those things. And I am just hungry to soak all of that stuff in wherever it is. There's so much of it today and so much of it is really quality learning that I think designers owe it to themselves to continue to challenge themselves. And that's, again, I am taking a little bit of time off now, hopefully a very little bit of time. We'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. But I really relish this opportunity to just go and learn and to see what's out there and soak it all in and to grow. And any designer that really cares about their craft, I think that even if you are swamped by work, you owe it to yourself and the future of your career to try and stay on top of where the technology is going because you are going to play a fundamental part of where that's going to go and influence the product and everything that is necessary to make that product successful. So keep current and keep out there and keep learning because it's going to be important for the success of all these products the more that design is part of that. Excellent. That's a great place to leave it. Josh Olm, design executive with a storied career. Thank you so much for taking time to uh, chat with us today on the Design Better podcast. Aaron, Eli, I always love chatting with you guys. Thanks for having me. 